Welcome to The Jack Brunswick Show. For more valuable knowledge, stories, and insights, check out jackbrunswickwordpress.com, jackbrunswick13 on Instagram and Twitter, or listen to the other podcasts on The Jack Brunswick Show. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey, what's going on? I bought this natural sunrise alarm clock, I think a few months back, I'd say, and it just looks like a giant light, but an alarm. The way it works is you can set the time for when you want to wake up, obviously, but you also set a timer for how quickly you want it to brighten up, as well as different sounds if you want to have increasing sound with the increasing light. And the whole thing is it's supposed to mimic a sunrise. And you can set different settings. For example, do you want it to go from 0 to 100 in 10 minutes and 20 minutes and 30 minutes? Do you want it to get brighter? Do you want its peak brightness to be, let's say, level 20 brightness or only level 10? And you can adjust all these settings. But the whole point of it is to mimic a sunrise. So what I do, I wake up at 7.30 every day at school. So I set it for 7.30 And at 7, because I have the 30-minute duration of getting brighter, it clicks on, just barely, it dims, and then minute by minute, it mimics the sunrise. And I chose 30 minutes because most sunrises usually takes 30 minutes from the first light to the sun actually being up. And I don't know how many studies have gone into these alarm clocks' effectiveness, but I've just found it to be absolutely insane And the reason I got it is because I understand the concept of a normal alarm clock. It goes off at whatever time you set it at. And if you're not going to bed on a real regimented routine, then that alarm clock is going to wake you up no matter what. Whether you're in light sleep, uh, REM sleep, and deep sleep. And that's not good to go from your deep sleep to immediately waking up. That's kind of like a stress reaction. If you think of like our ancestors, they never really woke up to an alarm unless it was danger. And that's just kind of a stressful way to wake up. And it's also not the best way to wake up. Because one, if you're waking up stressed out from your alarm, then that's going to deplete yourself a lot of energy. That's what stress does. When you get that super crazy adrenaline rush, then there's a crash. As well as, on the other hand, if you wake up automatically groggy and drowsy because your alarm clock went off in the middle of your deep sleep or when you're dreaming, then that's also not a good thing and it's just not optimal. And a big thing that the natural sunrise alarm clock does is it keeps your circadian rhythm less abrupted. So instead of waking up right away immediately, even if you are in deep sleep or it's not the optimal time for you to wake up, then the natural sunrise alarm clock, it at least gives you 30 minutes to kind of adjust and the way that works is our circadian rhythm is basically our natural awareness of our surroundings such as the earth the sun day and night and it's really important for sleep and your sleep routine and the way the sun rises and the natural alarm clocks work is the receptors in your eyes even when they're closed they realize when the sun is rising it's getting lighter it's getting darker just because of the environment around us. Like it can just sense it with its with your eyes closed. And it just signals to the brain, hey, it's time to wake up or 
you can stay asleep. And the issue in our day and age now is that it's not like how we were built where we wake up with the sun and we go to sleep with the sun. We have all our competing work schedules, school, whatever it might be. Or you might be living in Alaska or somewhere way up in the north where it gets dark all winter and you're not naturally waking up or going to bed with the sun. And so that's what a bad normal alarm clock does is it wakes you up in the dark even though your body and your mind is still in sleep mode. So that's why you wake up feeling groggy. And to go off with the circadian rhythm, the reason you wake up with light and you go to bed with dark naturally is your cortisol levels. They're affected by light. So what's going on with a normal alarm clock is it goes off at a crazy time when your body's not ready for it and your body shifts from low cortisol to high cortisol very rapidly. Or maybe it can't do it in enough time. So that's why you're going to be stressed or groggy, whatever it might be. Whereas the alarm clock, the natural alarm clock, it allows you to better transition at a more healthier pace from low cortisol to high cortisol. And then melatonin is the opposite of cortisol. So melatonin is going to be high at night and when you're sleeping, and it's going to be low when fully awake. Another thing with the natural sunrise alarm clocks is It can help with seasonal depression, the winter blues. Uh, It stimulates your brain when you're waking up because of the light, which signals, quote-unquote, warmth, positivity, and energy. When you're waking up, that's the first step of your day. And I'm a firm believer in momentum and, you know, how you start is very similar to how you're going to finish. And so if you're waking up, starting with lots of energy and you're focused and that's going to improve your mood and your productivity and those positive things from the morning are going to compound and transition into the afternoon and the evening. And if you're feeling good when you're right awake, it's going to help you make the right decision and have discipline to eat the right foods, get your work done, make good decisions like working out instead of scrolling social media. And I'm not knocking alarms. Alarms are good to keep us on a routine sleep schedule. The reason we have to keep on a routine sleep schedule is because Most of us are now on society's time. It's not like most of us can't just wake up whenever we want. And so there is a need for alarm clocks, but I found that this natural sunrise alarm clock was the first purchase I kind of made to help me sleep better. Something I found when waking up quickly and feeling energized is regardless of your sleep quality, the biggest thing is having a purpose and a commitment to do something in the morning, to have a task that has some urgency to it, or else waking up automatically becomes 10 times harder. I figured this out pretty well at home over winter break. I had no commitments to a schedule or an urgency to get the things done that I needed to. So I still needed to work out and work on my book and do whatever I had to do every day. But Since there was no time constraints, I could sleep in as much as I wanted, and there really was just no reason for me to wake up early. At home, I would end up sleeping until 10 or 11 or 12, whereas at school, I always have to wake up at my time, 7.30, 7.45, just because it's a rule, it's enforced, but also breakfast closes at 8. So that's just the smallest incentive possible that forces me to wake up and get going, because if I don't wake up in time, then I'm going to have to make my own breakfast or go find something. And so you just need the smallest thing to start your day to give you a reason to wake up. 
And I think that's something that a lot of teenagers don't have. There's also nicer alarm clock apps and programs and watches that can track your sleep waves and wake you up at the most optimal time. And it's some pretty cool stuff. So it's going to wake you when you're emerging from light sleep. That's the most optimal time. And that's what the alarm clock sunrise or natural sunrise will do. So it brings you closer to light sleep because of the, the signals that your eyelids are getting. And But your sleep environment itself is also really important. So you want to make the room as dark as possible. You want to reduce stimulation and light prior to bed. So that's the avoiding the electronics. Don't keep your lights on. If you're going to read or do something right before bed, try to use a reading lamp or just keep the light to a minimum because the more light, then the more your body thinks that you're awake. This is kind of a funny story. The first time I ever had a an all-nighter, you know, when you're in middle school and pulling an all-nighter is the coolest thing ever, especially at a sleepover. I had a couple of buddies over and we were playing Call of Duty Black Ops and we were in my basement and we had all the lights on. We just never turned them off, I guess. And I think we started gaming at 7 at night. And we just were playing round after round after round. And we just didn't get tired. And then finally, I think I said, like, hey, do you guys want to go to bed? I'm feeling a little sleepy. And we we're just kind of getting bored of playing video games. And everyone's like, yeah, like that sounds good. So I checked my time on my phone. And it's 7 in the morning. I was just so amazed and so shocked. Like I could not believe that that was the time because I didn't feel, I just couldn't believe it. That's because I had the light, all the lights in the basement were on and we had the TV going and the sound going and it just stimulates you and it tricks your body into thinking it's daytime. Other things with your sleep environment to consider is a fan. It keeps your room cooler, which is usually, this depends on person to person, but Generally, you just want the room to be slightly cooler than room temperature. That's usually optimal for most people. But a fan, it produces white noise. And that's a really big thing. You don't need a fan for white noise. You can also use your phone, laptop, other devices that create white noise. What white noise is, it's just a constant. So it could just be a humming or crickets or waterfalls, rainforest sounds, birds chirping, whatever it might be. And it's a constant sound and it goes throughout the entire night. And what it does is once you get used to a white noise, which is fairly quickly, it it becomes background noise, but it's good background noise because your white noise machine or your fan, it's going to drown out sounds that are in your external environment that might bother you and wake you up. Let's say you're in silence, your sound level is zero for your environment for your bedroom, but then you get a fan and it moves the sound level to a four out of 10 because your fan's kind of loud. And then people walking in the hallway, let's say you're living in college, either you're, you're jumping forward in time to college or back in time to college. And there's people walking in the dorm hallway late at night, making noise. There's a room down the hallway, blaring music. And what this is going to do is instead of you sleeping in silence and then those those doors slamming in the hallway, people talking or the music, that would, for the most part, grab your attention in your sleep and wake you up because it's not on your 
your standard level of noise for your sleep environment. But if you have white noise machine or a fan, then a lot of those sounds just get blurred out in the background because because while you're sleeping, you've become accustomed to the white noise levels. And the only things that you're going to hear are things louder than that. But if your fan is fairly close to you, it's in your bedroom, then louder noises that are further away aren't going to wake you up. And so this process is called sound masking. It reduces the unwanted, loud, sharp sounds by raising your environment volume with soothing ambient sounds. Another weird thing that I didn't realize when sleeping, or just in general, is that our brains, we naturally require an input of sounds because it stimulates the brain in a healthy, soothing way, especially for better sleep. And if you've seen those silence chambers, you can Google them. They're just meant to be completely silent. And people can't sit in those things for very long because our brain is actually wired to fill out that silence with something whether it's our heartbeat or our breathing or some sound we're making up in our head or our thoughts, that activity by our brain in dead silence usually keeps people awake. Another thing to consider with the white noise and blocking out sound is that you're also blocking out danger sounds. So it might make it easier for someone to sneak into your house or sneak into your room, and that might not be a good thing. You might value security over quality sleep. And so if you think about it, if you're in college, you're living with a bunch of people. If something's going down, there's going to be people running around and screaming and waking up. And you're going to hear that through your, your fan, your white noise. But, but if you're living at home by yourself and you've got a bunch of white noise going and something goes down, then you, you might not hear it because you're dead asleep. So that's just something to consider with white noises. You might not want to take advantage of it. It is possible to get dependent on white noise to stay asleep. So if you're used to sleeping with a bunch of white noise and a fan or whatever white noise ambience sound machine you got, and then you go sleep in a hotel where it's dead silent, or you go camping or just something, let's say for whatever reason you can't have your white noise machine with you, then that's really going to mess up your sleep and you're not going to be able to sleep in silence. I don't think this is really an issue because for the most part you can bring your phone with you and play white noise through the night or whatever. It's a thing if you sleep with lots of white noise, then you're going to be used to it and you're going to require it. You're going to almost become addicted to it. But it's in the name of good sleep, so you can't really complain. I know I really need white noise to sleep well, just I really prefer it, especially when you have a roommate in college. Anytime they shift covers or get up to go to the bathroom, you can hear all of it, especially in dead silence. But with a fan going, then you can't hear any of it. Shout out to my roommate. You're a good roommate. Don't worry about anything you hear on this episode. None of it's a passive-aggressive attack on you. You're a homie. Something about white noise is pretty weird that I learned in elementary school. And our teacher, the first day of class, she had a CD playing or whatever she had with crickets in the background, just them chirping. And she told us that, oh yeah, blah, 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 we got crickets going in the background, you'll forget about it. And over the course of the week, unless you really thought about it, the crickets became impossible to hear. And that's the same with white noise, is it just becomes part of the background and you tune it out. I don't know, I just think that's crazy how something can be going on 
but your brain doesn't register it. That just is white noise. I just think that's an interesting concept. Okay, ideal room temperature for sleeping. So ideal sleeping temperature is 60 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's just below room temperature. And there's so many different factors regarding the temperature of your uh, sleeping environment. really depends on who you are. So you can adjust your physical thermostat in your house or your room. The type of mattress really depends. Some mattresses will heat you up more. Some will keep you cool. How many blankets you have, what kind of blankets. Are you wearing pajamas? Like, What are you wearing to bed? Did you drink a lot of cold water before bed? Because that can lower your temperature. As well as, did you take a shower before bed? As hot or cold shower can also affect your sleeping temperature. As well as a fan or anything you can think of. It's going to affect your body temperature. Your sleep environment temperature. And something I was curious about is... Do showers help you fall asleep, especially if it's a hot shower versus a cold shower? So what I've heard, I don't know how true it all is, is that a cold shower causes your internal body temperature to rise as a result of the cold outer. So when you think about it, when you get cold, you shiver, and that's to heat your body up. So a cold shower is going to cause your internal body temperature to, to shiver and to rise. But for me, that results in a more active awake state so i don't know how a cold shower before bed would help whereas a hot shower should technically relax you because your body temperature as a result of the heat is trying to stay cool and it's going to cool down your internal body language your body temperature but then it depends so if you're taking a hot shower for two minutes then yeah your body's going to cool down a ton compared to how much the shower heated you up But if you take a one-hour hot shower, then what's going to affect it more? Is the hot one-hour hot shower going to rise your body temperature a ton? Or in comparison to the cool-down effect of your body? Or is being in the shower for one hour going to make your body temperature decrease a lot because of your body's reaction? And so those things... I should probably look into them more, but from what I've found in my research, it's pretty inconclusive. For the most part, it's basically up to personal preference of hot shower or cold shower before bed. I feel like for most people, a hot shower probably makes the most sense and is their personal preference just because it's relaxing and kind of puts you in a drowsy state. But it really just depends. Because if you're living, let's say you're living somewhere really hot near the equator, You take a hot shower right before bed and then you walk out and your bedroom's hot. That's not going to make you feel at a good internal state or an internal temperature to fall asleep. You're going from hot environment to hot environment. Like that's not going to be fun. If you took a cold shower near the equator and then went to bed, it's going to help you cool down a bit more. I don't know. There's a lot of factors. Basically, it's up to personal preference. I think a lot of these things regarding sleep don't really require a lot of thought or thinking through. A lot of it's just do what your body tells you. If you're cold, then throw on an extra blanket. If you're hot, then turn on the fan or turn down the thermostat. That's the point that I'm basically trying to make is we naturally do all these things to optimize our sleep without even thinking. But it's also good to be aware of these things and how we can be better. Then there's your your mattress or your sleeping surface. Some people like soft beds, some people like hard beds. 
I got a foam top for my bed at college. I love it. It really just depends on who you are. That's what the research says. Whatever you prefer, go for it. There's no science to prove that certain sleeping surfaces are better. I've also got a weighted blanket. It's basically, imagine a quilt, but each little quilt square is filled with heavy beads. And mine weighs 20 pounds. And for me, it feels like someone's cuddling me or hugging me. And it's calming and it kind of helps me feel snug and in my place. And I think it helps me fall asleep better. It could be placebo effect. There's not many studies on weighted blankets and their effects on sleep, but through experience, it's helped me sleep better. And I think, yeah, science is important and research is important, but at the end of the day, if you think something's going to help you sleep better and it actually is and you're sleeping for longer, you're going to bed faster and you're waking up more energized, then hey, you can't complain. Just go for it. I think sleep is really important and a lot of people overlook it especially athletes society definitely over prioritizes work and pushing yourself and making the most out of your day which i agree with i think it's important to do all those things but we for the most part we forget that we need sleep and that high quality sleep is going to help impact your day and it's going to help you do more with your day think more clear, have more energy, have more focus. And there's so many ways to get better sleep that people don't utilize. Big reason for that is social media, TV, Netflix, movies, video games, looking at our computers and iPads and phones all the time, especially right before bed. A lot of people think that blue light glasses can fix their problems with blue light and looking at your phone or computer late at night before bed. So I did some research on blue light glasses. So what the deal is with that is blue light emitted from our devices, they can throw off our sleep patterns, especially when you're on them right before bed. We look at our screens all day and some people get digital eye strain, which is caused by a number of factors. Blue light is just one of those factors. It also is linked to how we use our digital devices. So obviously people who are on their computer 24-7 are going to have eye strain. But people think these blue light glasses are the solution when in reality a lot of the research is inconclusive. And the advertised benefits of blue light glasses include less eye strain, improved sleep habits, prevention of eye disease. I've never heard of that. All right, let's just continue then. But yeah, these glasses, the blue light glasses, they're a newer product. There's not research to show either way if it's good or bad for you. The FDA doesn't regulate it because blue light glasses, they aren't marketed as a medical device quite yet. The American Academy of Ophthalmology says they have gone on record as not recommending any kind of special eyewear for computer users. The organization says blue light from digital devices does not lead to eye disease and doesn't even cause eye strain. The problems people complain about are simply caused by overuse of digital devices. They say that the symptoms of digital eye strain are linked to how we use our digital devices, not the blue light coming out of them. 
the Association of Optometrists from the UK. They say that there's a lack of high-quality evidence to support using blue-blocking spectacle lenses for the general population to improve visual performance or sleep quality, alleviate eye fatigue, or conserve macular health. And what exactly is blue light? Well, we've been getting lots of blue light before digital life even became a thing. And most of that light comes from the sun. Another optometrist, another optometrist, Susan Primo, at Emory University also says that the research shows that digital overuse, not blue light, causes these eye problems. However, some patients do wear blue light glasses and they supposedly report less eye strain. This is interesting. This is kind of in support of blue light glasses. There is some research that agrees that blue light from LED devices like your smartphone or laptop holds back the body's production of sleep-inducing melatonin. So theoretically, wearing the blue light glasses right before bed makes sense, according to that research, but we don't know how true that is. A 2017 study done by the University of Houston found that participants wearing the glasses, so blue light glasses, showed a 58% increase in their nighttime melatonin levels. The American Academy of Ophthalmology says, this is kind of a different spin, you don't need to spend extra money on blue light glasses to improve sleep. Simply decrease evening screen time and set devices to night mode, which I think is fair. I think night mode, because most of the blue light is probably going to come from the white part of your screen. If I'm not mistaken, I'll have to double, don't quote me on that, I'll have to double check that, but I mean, yeah, those things obviously make sense, but spending extra money on blue light glasses really isn't a great deal of money. I think blue light glasses, you can probably get them for like 20 bucks. So I don't see the need for that even being an argument. 20 bucks to maybe increase your sleep. And according to the that 58% increase, that study at University of Houston. So it seems like the blue light glasses, they don't help with eye strain and eye problems, but because blue light isn't even a factor regarding those things, but supposedly it does help us with our falling asleep at night and the nighttime melatonin levels, which makes sense. And I think a lot of people, it's just one, your use habits, the timing of not using it before bed. It's a personal preference of if these blue light glasses help them or not. I think a lot of it's probably placebo. You can't be for sure because the research isn't fully conclusive. It's just really important to listen to our bodies. If you feel a certain way about blue light glasses, wear them. If you, if your body's craving to be warmer or colder to go to bed, do it. If you need white noise to sleep, do it. A big part of this is just listen to your body. I think a lot of people try to complicate how to be healthy with sleep, diet, exercise. And the simplest thing is just listen to what your body's telling you. Uh, here's some tips from webmd.com regarding reducing your eye strain, that kind of stuff. Basically sit 25 inches or further from the screen. Point the screen so you're gazing downward on it. That makes sense. You can use a matte screen filter to reduce glare. 
You can use eye drops when your eyes are dry. And pay attention to the lighting in your room where you work. You might want to increase your screen contrast. So yeah, just common sense stuff. Again, listen to your body and listen to your environment. Yeah, and then these other doctors and ophthalmologists, they basically explain that the eye strain and those issues are because your eyes are shifting focus and moving and things on the screen are moving and then glare and contrast can be tough on your eyes and that just can cause overuse of your eyes and eye irritation by sitting at your computer all day and it's not directly from the blue light itself because blue light is a natural thing so yeah all that makes sense although that's another thing so these studies show that blue light's natural and it's from the sun but what are we told as kids? Don't stare at the sun. And obviously I'll need to look into this further. If we're not supposed to look into the sun, is that because of the blue light or is it because of just the intensity of the sun? Because if it's because of the blue light or the blue light plays some role, then who knows what our generation's vision is going to be like down the road if we're looking at potentially a harmful blue light. And for now, most studies say that the blue light isn't the concern, but I mean, who knows? Regardless, I don't think it's healthy to, one, physically sit and look at TVs and computers all day. You know, we don't really know how it's going to affect our eyes. We're kind of the first generation to use electronics so extensively starting at birth. Like Think about all the kids who, all the kids now who play on their iPads and iPods all day and video games, watch TV. It's crazy. So who knows how this is going to affect our our vision down the road, both the blue light but also the eye strain of just overuse. But there's also positives of blue light. When you look at a screen or something, it kind of triggers you to wake up and it energizes you a little bit. And it's documented that some, and the keyword is some, Blue light exposure is essential for good health. This high energy blue light, it can boost alertness, your memory, cognitive function, and elevate your mood. And that's something called light therapy, which we talked about with the natural alarm clock sunrise, is it can treat seasonal affective disorder, the winter blues when it's dark all the time. And that's the type of depression that relates to the changing of the seasons. But that's enough about blue light glasses. Take what you want from the research I've done. Basic summary is blue light isn't the cause of eye strain, but it does affect our circadian rhythm and our ability to go to sleep on time. So the big thing is just don't use it before bed. Easy. Done. Take 20-30 minutes to read a book or meditate or anything. Do your nightly routine of brush your teeth, drink a glass of water, take your vitamins. Just get off your devices. It's it's a pretty easy switch to, to make, and it's going to save you a lot of time too. So instead of being on your phone at 8 p.m., and then you're going to spend 30 minutes trying to fall asleep, but you can't because of the blue light and being on your phone and being stimulated, and then you don't fall asleep till 8.30, 8.35. Well, that's 30, 35 minutes you, you sat there trying to fall asleep, wasting your time, whereas you could have got off your phone at 7.30 and read a book, done your nightly routine, whatever jazz you got to do with no electronics, fall asleep immediately at 8, and you get an extra half an hour of sleep. 
or you get a half hour of extra work in, whatever it might be. One last thing I want to touch on is naps. So this is something interesting. At the academy, my fourth class and third class year, so freshman and sophomore year, we had to wake up at six in the morning because we had morning formation. And then we had a military training period right after that. And for the most part, we didn't have trainings every day. So for the most part, wake up at 6, get breakfast by 6.30. You're awake from 7 to 8, basically for no reason whatsoever. Another thing with that schedule is you had the opportunity to take two naps throughout the day. So you could take one one-hour nap before noon and one one-hour nap after noon. And then at 4 p.m., you can sleep however long you want, whenever you want. But for the most part, kids go to sports and then dinner and then homework, and you don't really take naps after 4 p.m. It's not really a thing that people do. But I compared my my energy levels from that time period to now, which our schedule's changed. So now we have to have our door open at 7.45 in the morning. So I get to wake up at 7.30 now, an extra hour and a half. The caveat is there's no naps throughout the day. And by far, I prefer the latter, 100%, the wake up later, but no naps. And there's also other factors to consider. Being at a service academy, your underclass years are a lot more difficult. And then also there is the shift with COVID. So the schedules for everyone is different just because we can't get together and do trainings in person. We can't go to class in person. So a lot of things have changed. Since all these other factors changed as well beyond our sleep schedule differences, I wanted to research the power of normal sleep and getting your normal seven to eight hours versus naps and how effective naps really are. So something I found right away is that people who crave naps, it usually indicates that there's an issue with their normal nighttime sleeping. It makes sense. If you're tired during the day, it usually means you didn't get enough sleep or good enough quality sleep. Another thing is that naps usually don't get into deep sleep or REM sleep. That happens later on in the night, usually an hour and a half or later. If you're not napping for an hour and a half or longer, then that means you're usually not reaching deep sleep or REM sleep. And if you are, then what happens is you don't give yourself enough time to get there or if you do then you get pulled out of it right away with an alarm clock which wakes you up feeling just as tired so a nap isn't helping with recovery that's where most muscle and mental recovery happens is during REM sleep and deep sleep another interesting piece of information I found is long-term health benefits and consequences of naps are inconclusive the big thing for me is when I am looking at sleep I'm looking at it from an athlete standpoint. I want more energy when I wake up. I want muscle recovery and I want brain slash mental recovery. And naps don't really do that. And for me in school, just from my personal experience, the one hour nap means you spend some time trying to fall asleep and then you got to wake up right away. And it was really hit or miss. Sometimes I'd feel good with a solid mental reset. Whereas other times I'd wake up feeling even more tired than I did before. And so it really just 
depends on your personal preference, how naps affect you. But if you're going to take a nap, make sure it's before the afternoon and evening because the later your nap is, then the more likely it is to disrupt your real sleep. And there's so many different types of naps you've probably seen on Pinterest or social media or YouTube. Let's see. You've got the the recovery nap, the prophylactic nap, the appetitive nap, the fulfillment nap, the napa latte, the new mom nap, the sports nap, the CEO nap. People just make up names for this stuff. It's crazy. Generally, if you take a shorter nap, it's not really going to help you physically, but they're good for refreshing your mind and just your mental grogginess. Whereas longer naps, they're not necessarily going to help you with your recovery per se, but a longer nap is going to help you recover from an irregularity in your sleep schedule. So let's say you had a late night studying for finals or you had to work a late shift. Sometimes you need that hour, hour and a half to get through the day. And honestly, a nap shortens the day. So instead of being awake from, let's say, 8 to Let's just say 8 to 8 to keep it simple. If you take an hour nap, your day shrinks by an hour because you napped through some of it. But yeah, personally and with research, you want to focus on your real sleep throughout the night because that's what gets you into REM sleep and deep sleep. And the benefits of that is that's where you dream. Basically helps you sort out memories in your life and think things through. And there's a whole lot of processes going on that I don't understand, but they're important. And then the second is your mental and physical recovery. Something about REM sleep, it improves our memory, our mood, and our cognitive function. So you're not getting that during a nap. You get physical recovery. You're not getting that during a nap. During REM sleep, it removes neurotoxins from our brain. And there's lots of muscle recovery and tissue growth. Let's see, do I have any other thoughts on sleep? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people, they complain about not having a good day or not being good enough, not having enough energy or not being fit, whatever it might be. Sleep is one of the variables that I think a lot of people leave out of the equation when they're looking at stuff. And everything affects everything. So your your exercise regimen, that's going to affect how you eat. How you eat is going to affect how you sleep. How you sleep is going to affect how you work. And all those things are intertwined together. You know, it's not a, a chain of A affects B affects C affects D. It's A affects all, B affects all, C affects all, D affects all. It's not a food chain. It's a food web. You guys remember doing that in middle school or elementary school, the difference between food chain and food web? Everything's connected, and I just would leave you guys with that and just what I've taken away from my research and my personal experience, especially being at a service academy where I feel like my level of schedule is probably similar to a normal college student's schedule first year out of college when they when they get their first job and they got a lot of stuff going on and personal responsibility. Sleep is important. Especially if you're an athlete, if you're an entrepreneur, you're working hard at whatever business you're trying to start up, if you're 
at a service academy, if you're even at a normal college and just trying to grind and be the best you can be. So don't leave sleep out of the equation. Hopefully some of it made sense and was interesting. I thought it was really beneficial to look up this stuff and figure out the importance of sleep as well as do blue light glasses really work? Yeah, they kind of do. The importance of white noise. The naps help. Yes and no. Really, really naps are all about strategy, man. Biggest thing, listen to your body. But don't use that as an excuse to be lazy. Because sometimes our body tells us we need a nice, long nap. When in reality, we're just being lazy or procrastinating. And I'll end it with a Jocko reference. So if you don't listen to Jocko podcasts, he's what Jocko does. He's ex-Navy SEAL, and he's up at 4.30 every morning. He's up before the enemy, doing his thing, working out, recording podcasts, working on his business, spending time with his family. He just He's a warrior. But something he does is he takes an eight-minute mental reset nap. And basically just he makes sure his feet are above his heart elevated feet, eight-minute timer, and then boom, wakes up and is back at it. But yeah, sleep's important. Whether it's an eight-minute nap or an 80-minute nap, if you're sleeping for eight minutes or eight hours, sleep's good. It's late. I'm going to go. I'm going to keep on the path and keep grinding. You guys do the same. That starts or ends with a good night's sleep. Catch you guys later. Take a minute to check out another episode of The Jack Brunswick Show and be the first to know when the newest one drops by joining the email list in the Jack Brunswick bio. That's good.